welcome back to the fearless fly episode 10 uh, where we're going to be looking at why we fly so high it's the last episode episode nine i hope you all enjoyed it uh, we looked at uh, severe weather did you want to just quickly say grant uh hi and uh discuss the previous episode on severe yeah. weather yeah hello everyone i hope everyone's well Yes, last episode was interesting because we uh, discussed all the more extremes of the weather that um, you probably don't get to see, but it might always be in the back of your mind, especially when you see thunderstorms around or high winds. So I hope that gives you a little bit of more of an idea of how we deal with those things to put your mind at ease. This episode, uh, we're going a bit away from weather because I think we've had a couple episodes now on weather. And we're going into, uh, we're talking about why we uh, fly so high because a few people or some people have the fear of uh, flying. The anxiety comes from heights and the fear of heights and heights and falling. So we're just going to discuss why aircraft actually fly uh, up at 30,000, 40,000 feet and why they don't just take off and just fly like 100 meters above, say, the highway. Did you want to just kick it off and just discuss why we uh, do yeah. fly that high? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because the nice thing is, of course, we can fly in straight lines. But the primary reason that we fly an aircraft at altitude is because we can significantly increase the range of the aircraft. And this is simply due to the reduced air density that occurs at high altitude. There are a number of secondary reasons that will become obvious later on in our discussion. But Firstly, let's talk about this air density. The air at altitude, it's less dense and therefore uh, it offers less resistance and in essence less drag. And I suppose a good example with regard to density, uh, uh, to put it in context, is if you had, say, a big pot of runny honey and another pot of water. Now, if you run a spoon or a knife through each of these or a spatula, you'll clearly see without actually doing it, but you can see what I'm getting at, is that there's a lot more effort required to run your spoon or your knife or your spatula through the honey. So there's a lot more resistance there than if you're doing the same thing through a pot of water. And and this is like air density. So the air near the ground is thick. It's got a lot of pressure there. It's a high density. It's like a honey pot. And at altitude, it's very much a lot thinner. So it would be more like, I suppose, water in, in comparison to the honey pot. Yeah, so basically, what you're just saying that the reduction in air density affects the um, range of an aircraft, but like, so there's less air to push through. Is that, or how does that actually affect the range of the air? Yeah, there is air slayer, but the best way probably to describe it would be to do something in a practical sense here. And we'll, we'll say we've got two aircraft that are exactly the same. And there's no wind blowing at any altitude, so there's no wind anywhere. But one of these aircraft is going to fly from A to B, just above the ground, and we'll call this the low aircraft. And the other one, we're going to fly it way, way up high from the same place, A to B, and we'll call this the high aircraft. We're going to use a unit of measurement for this example, and in aviation we use knots. But it doesn't matter whether you use kilometres, miles, so we're just going to stick to knots because we're going to make it nice and simple. Now, both aircraft require 100 knots of airflow and thus airspeed over the wing to stay airborne because the wing's now generating enough to lift the aircraft at 100 knots. So let's just say it's got to fly at 100 knots. So the low aircraft, we'll start with, it flies just above the ground. And as already stated, to provide enough lift, we need 100 knots of airspeed over the wing. So the airspeed over is 100 knots and the airspeed indicator for the pilot, it's got 100 knots as well. 
and the result is the aircraft travels over the ground at 100 knots, keeping it nice and simple at this stage. The air molecules near the ground, they're all closer together because the density is more. So these air molecules are going into the airspeed indicator. They're showing 100 knots, and thus our true airspeed is 100 knots. So in one hour, the aircraft will therefore fly 100 nautical miles. So everything is 100 knots, and as a result, in one hour, it flies 100 nautical miles. Now, let's talk about the high aircraft, which is flying from A to B, and it's much higher where the air pressure is a lot lower. Now, with there being lower air pressure, that means there's less air molecules, and the molecules are spaced further apart. So remember, our wing still needs a speed of 100 knots over the wing to provide enough lift. So our airspeed indicator must also show 100 knots at altitude. But now the air molecules are further apart. So the aircraft must go faster through the air at this higher altitude to capture enough air molecules to show 100 knots on the airspeed indicator. And consequently, there will be 100 knots of airflow over the wing, which is enough to keep us in the air. However, because the air molecules are further apart at altitude, the speed of our high altitude aircraft compared to the low aircraft is a lot higher. That's if we're looking at it from the ground. And this is what we term true airspeed. In essence, our true airspeed is higher than what our airspeed indicator is showing. Remember, our airspeed indicator is showing 100 knots. So for the same fuel burnt as the low aircraft, the high aircraft will have now traveled further than the low aircraft. In essence, it's traveled further across the ground. So the distance it has gone for the same amount of fuel burnt is higher than 100 nautical miles. It's gone a, a so, lot further. Yeah. So basically, the way I'm understanding it is if you're, say, flying just above the ground at 100 knots and the air, indicated airspeed is 100 knots, you're going to get the 100 nautical miles because that's how well, it all works out at ground level. Correct. But if we went high enough up that the air molecules, say, twice as far apart, yep. that 100 knots indicated airspeed, so the true airspeed, is actually going to take us 200 nautical miles over that same period of time. Yeah, you could look at it like that. There is a rough rule of thumb to put it in context, and I'll give you an example soon, but the rough rule of thumb is for every 1,000 feet we go up, we get a 2% increase in our true airspeed. So for so going, going up 1,000 yeah. feet, that plain example I gave you before that's doing 100 knots, if we now flew at 1,000 feet, the airspeed indicator would show 100 knots, but the speed over the ground would be 102 knots at 1,000 feet, which means we've flown two nautical miles further if we just traveled 1,000 feet up. And then obviously, well, you are cruising in commercial airliners at like 30, 40,000 feet. So you can really see, especially on long flights. Yeah. So I, on my last flight, I made a note of the exact numbers because there was a period where we had no wind. So here's an example of how it works in practical terms. I was at 34,000 feet and my airspeed, indicated airspeed on my um, airspeed indicator was 295 knots. Yet my true airspeed was 495 knots. So there was no wind. And as a consequence, my speed over the ground, called our ground speed, was 200 knots faster than what it would be if I was flying just above the ground. So that's a 68% increase in speed. Or in other words, I was traveling 68% further for the same amount of fuel burnt as if I was flying around near the ground. 
in basic terms, if I was flying across the ground at low level, I would have traveled 295 nautical miles in one hour. However, at altitude for the same fuel burnt in that one hour period, I actually traveled 495 nautical miles. So I traveled 200 nautical miles further because I was flying at altitude. And for this reason alone, you can now see why we travel at high altitude. So this true airspeed thing is pretty good. And thus, the higher we go, the more advantageous it is to our range. Remember the rough rule of thumb I just talked about before? For every 1,000 feet we go up, we get a true airspeed uh, around 2% higher than our indicated airspeed. And that previous example I used before on my flight that I did at 34,000 feet, that would be a 68% increase in my indicated airspeed. And guess what? It was bang on that 68% increase in my airspeed. So pretty much flying it really high up is a lot better than if you if you flew low, just because if you can get further quicker or quicker than you burn this fuel and you can uh, you go faster and yeah. i was just thinking with your engines because if you drove a car and you drive a car up high up a mountain well we've done it in the past but over smallish mountains you still feel a bit of a loss of power as you get higher now you're getting up in the really extreme uh, temperatures and also there's uh, the air spread out more the air density is a lot lower so the engines why don't they lose power as, as they're up at the, that sort of height you bang on, the engines uh, do lose power, but also they're more efficient at altitude. And here's a brief number of reasons why. Firstly, the air is cooler at altitude, so cool air expands more than warm air once it's heated by fuel. And it's this uh, thermal expansion that's part of a process that gives the engine thrust, and we turn this uh, thermal efficiency. So that's one. A second one is the air at altitude is cooler, like I said before, and therefore your, your engine can operate at lower temperatures. So uh, jet engines, they like being run at an optimum temperature and RPM. In essence, they're designed for the cruise, but at low altitude, they can get near their upper limits and they start to lose their efficiency. However, as they climb, they start to lose efficiency due to the air getting thinner. But at the same time, they maintain a high compression ratio and uh, thermal efficiency. So in essence, we get to operate them closer to their optimum design intention. And once you convert this to a true airspeed, which we previously talked about, by simply flying at altitude, we simply get this result. We get the same amount of air into the engine, the same amount of combustion using the same amount of fuel. And this in terms means better propulsion and speed at higher altitudes. Basically, these engines are designed to run at the high altitudes. And when you fly them at the high altitudes, they are a lot more efficient and you get the travel a lot further with the same amount of fuel. So it's just increasing range. This is just another advantage to flying high. Yep, exactly. For a given amount of fuel, travel a lot further. More bangs for your bucks. Any other advantages then? Yeah, another one, there's less weather, and therefore with less weather, there's less turbulence. So as we discussed in the episodes on weather, that the majority of the atmosphere is closer to the Earth's surface. A brief recap, around 50% of the Earth's atmosphere is contained within the first 18,000 feet, and this is where the majority of the weather is. So by flying above this, we avoid a lot of clouds and the turbulence associated with the lower parts of the atmosphere. Is there an optimum altitude to fly at? Do they vary between aircraft? Yeah, there is. Well, yeah, they do vary between aircraft, but there is an optimum altitude to fly at. And uh, the average 
height that a jet aircraft flies is between 30 to 42,000 feet. Now, the actual height in that range depends on a few factors. Firstly, the weight of the aircraft. So, for example, on a long-range flight, the cruise altitude will be initially quite low, but as the aircraft burns off fuel and becomes lighter, it could then climb higher, and we refer to this as step climbs. Another factor in determining the cruise altitude is wind components. So, for example, if you're cruising across the Atlantic from Europe to America and there's a really strong jet stream at high altitude, which you're flying into, it might be more efficient to cruise at a lower altitude where the headwind is less and that kind of compensates for the lower true airspeed. So you're trading off between uh, wind and, well, fuel efficiency. So... We mentioned that less air density means less drag, which we discussed in episode three. Are there any any last benefits of running this at altitude? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, no animals to run into, so no birds at high altitudes. So that's kind of environmentally friendly in that respect. Uh, air traffic control, They um, there might be other aircraft going the same route and they may already have your optimum altitude, so you'll have to take a less optimum altitude. So if there's no ADC restrictions, though, can't you just go really high? Or Because if you said earlier, it's to do with fuel burn, but isn't it still good to just get as high as you uh, can straight away to try and get a really good airspeed? A good true airspeed, yeah. that's That's a good point. There is an upper limit to how high we can actually go, and it's based on two factors. As briefly stated, the optimum altitude gets higher as we burn off fuel. So although there's less air molecules as we go higher, we also have less weight for the wing to support. But here's the other factor, and it relates to the speed of sound. When air flows over the surface, such as a wing, it speeds up, especially over the top of the wing. Now, at sea level, the speed of sound is around 660 knots. In miles an hour, that's 761 miles an hour or kilometers an hour. It's 1,225. When an aircraft is doing the speed of sound, we call this Mach 1, and the airflow that goes over the wings forms a shock wave, which simply means a loss of lift with a heck of a lot of drag and buffeting. We call that Mach buffet and some other not so good stuff that commercial aircraft are not designed so that, uh, to do. Yeah, passing that Mach 1 thing when the sonic boom happens, is that the Mach buffer? Yeah, there's a shockwave that uh, you can see in pictures, and, and it's, uh, it's, it has a heck of a lot of drag in it. It's got a whole lot of stuff that, that fighter jets are designed for, but commercial jets are not designed for. So I'll continue with that there just to finish up that other limit that we're talking about with the connection to the max. So now we're at altitude, and remember I said the temperature decreases with altitude. Well, the speed of sound also reduces with decreasing temperature. It's what we call a negative speed gradient, but it gets way complicated. But the fact is the speed of sound does decrease with decreasing temperature. So For commercial jets, we call this upper speed limit the critical Mach number. The speed is lower. It's not actually Mach 1 on our airspeed indicator. It's lower, and I'll tell you why. The speed is lower because our airspeed probes are into the free air, but the speed over the wing, like a large surface such as our wing, will significantly speed up. So my critical Mach number in the Boeing 777 is around 90% the speed of sound, and we call this Mach 0.9. Now, if I was silly enough to go to this speed, 
Then the airflow into my speed device, my airspeed probes, and thus my airspeed indicator would show Mach 0.09. But the airflow over the wing and other parts of the aircraft would be going even faster, and they would likely be approaching the speed of sound with all its implications and problems of drag and buffeting. So it is a lower number. So we do have a critical Mach number, and that is our limited speed, and that's limited by altitude as well. So as we get higher, you could basically fly because of how the air particles are getting more and more spread out. You wouldn't get enough lift over the wing. So you'd essentially be pl- flying really fast, but also too slow for the aircraft. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, think they're sort of getting too fast and too slow really close together. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what's happening. And that's our limit. So you asked why we couldn't go really high, and it's that there. So these are maximum and minimum speeds. And we call this the ceiling limit. And the only people that really know about the ceiling limit are test pilots. Apparently, in the early days of test pilot flying, to my knowledge, they used to call this coffin corner. Um, We on commercial aircraft operations, we never get anywhere near this place. But like you say, you go one knot too slow, you fall out of the sky. One knot too fast, you are you exceed the sound barrier. And so, as a result, it's, it's a place that we don't fly near. So. Not only are the upper limits imposed upon us at high altitude by the manufacturer, which they've put a maximum and minimum speeds on, these maximum altitudes are also based on weight. And we have these limits, they're limits put upon us, but they've got intentional safety factors built into them as a further safety precaution. The fact is, in operations, we never fly to the limits. And in my career, I've never had a need nor a requirement to operate even close to these limits. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, so basically, as you get higher and higher, the maximum and minimum speeds for the aircraft fit closer and closer together. Yeah, bang, bang Um, on. So to sum up sort of where we fly so high, the higher you go, the range increases due to a faster true airspeed. So you're going faster but with the same sort of fuel flow so you can cover more uh, miles with the same amount of fuel and then also as you get higher the weather generally clears up and you don't have as much turbulence or thunder clouds or anything there's no real risk of bird strikes i believe they read somewhere that was something maybe over africa or somewhere with some you know there's really high up birds yeah there, a are, times there, there were some interest the ones in africa they fly there's also ones that cross the himalayas and they're up very high i had a bird one night climbing out of southern spain going back to the uk and there was such a loud bang and i looked at my fo and thought what the heck was that because we were very high this was in winter we were i think we were passing thirteen thousand feet and it was minus 15 so the bang kind of like startled us and I thought there might have been a panel come off the plane but I looked at the temperature and thought it's not a bird it's too high it's too cold and when we landed there was a uh, we had hit a bird so I don't know what the bird was doing it must have had good anti-icing in its wings because it was cold outside it was dark and uh, there was a lot of mess down the nose of the aeroplane there's a lot of blood unfortunately but yeah it was a bit of a shock so they do get high but at the altitudes that we cruise at in a commercial jet aircraft above 30,000 feet, there's going to be no birds up there unless they're crazy. Yeah. And then um, you've got the step climbs you mentioned. So as you burn fuel, you can climb higher and therefore increase fuel efficiency even more. The block levels, which were ATC given, the block levels, so you just need to uh, 
if there's air traffic control, especially I'm assuming in busy airspace, yeah. is that flying across say the Indian yeah. Ocean or we normally have step climbs, so you know, once you've burnt fuel off, you go up a few thousand feet. But sometimes if the airspace is is very quiet, you can actually fly a block level. So you might say request a block between 35,000 and 37,000 and the optimum altitude might be say 35,300 and you'll fly 35,300 and when they burnt off a bit of fuel you go up another 100 feet and that's called a block level we don't do it too often but there are places where we do do it and we can really optimize the fuel burn and the true airspeed to uh yeah. And obviously the range, it's about the range. So yeah, that's uh yeah, that's what block levels are. They're not and then yes, yeah, so you probably only use that, I'm guessing, over vast oceans where there's not many Yeah, you use, use a lot use a lot over Australian airspace because there's not many planes flying around. You know, it's the size of Europe nearly, and there's a heck of a lot less traffic. So it's easier for air traffic control to give us our block levels less traffic. And then lastly, limits. So you've got obviously manufacturer's limits and then i'm assuming company limits can they be different yeah yes you're right sometimes they are if a company puts a limit on a manufacturer it's obviously always more limiting but uh, there's a huge safety margin built in into um, all these limits for us to operate on commercial operations but it is quite funny how as you uh, get to those sort of extreme heights that how you're like walking a tightrope as such like yeah one not yeah. above one not below and you can just stool <laughs> yeah, yeah it's interesting eh? yeah Somewhere I don't want to go. But there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe in the future. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> anyway, the next episode is going to be on flaps and slats. So we've talked about them briefly before, but we'll talk about how they operate, their backup systems, and how they affect our takeoff and landing. And then uh, what else are we going to talk about, James? Um. Oh, probably, if we have time, discuss a bit more on about us actually <laughs> yeah yeah well we haven't told our listeners anything really apart from the very basic information about us but it'd probably be nice for some of them to listen i got an email from someone the other day asking some further information about our background so it'll be good to uh have a little chat give our listeners a bit more of an idea of who we are and what we're up to and why we're enjoying it fair enough well i have to write that out because i'm not the fan of <laughs> speaking like that but there we go no. oh, I'm, anyway. the same, I'm in the same position you must be my son <laughs> anyway i'll uh yeah i hope you've enjoyed that guys learning a bit more about why we aircraft fly so high and i hope you have learned something i definitely have to do with true air speed and the fuel efficiency as we get that high do you want to say bye to yeah okay thanks very much for listening and look forward to chatting to you on the next episode bye